It's off the Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Salah with a chance. Wonderful thing, brilliant play. Here he goes, Salah. Hello everybody and welcome back to a win is a win podcast. I'm Edgar Chaput. So let's talk a little bit about a couple of game fives that happened in the NBA last night. Uh, game five between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics in Boston at at the Garden. Uh, what a game and and what a tale of two teams. Uh, you know, it's. I think it's easy for us to to look at a game like that and say, well, well, Boston is operating with a first year head coach in Ime Udoka, who's done a very good job, by the way. But still, uh, they lack some of that experience. This core nucleus that the Celtics have of, of Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Orford, who was there for a few years, left and came back this year. You know, they don't have championship experience. And, and that's why they've, you know, their best seasons are typically either first round, uh, excuse me, not first round, but rather second round or conference final exits, which, you know, can be considered a relative success, but they've never gone the distance. They've never reached the promised land, I think that's a little bit too easy. I mean, there's always two sides to a coin, and, and the other side of the coin of last night's Game 5 was how Milwaukee did not crumble on the road, enemy territory, particularly hostile territory, when you're playing in the postseason against the Celtics in Boston, and then you see guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and Drew Holiday, and even to a certain extent Connington, uh, just playing lights out in the fourth quarter. And, and they are champions. They know what it is to win a chip. They know what it is to earn that ring. And they played like it in the fourth quarter. You know, Games like these are often won or lost in the fourth quarter. To, to to not give up when down by 13 points on the road against a very good defensive Boston Celtics team with less than 10 minutes to go, or just about 10 minutes to go, my hat is off to them. A dove of the cap to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, it was an epic game. And Drew Holiday, who maybe has been a tad inconsistent throughout this playoff run, boy, did he ever play fantastic defense last night ironically or perhaps not so ironically he played fantastic defense against Marcus Smart the latter having been named a few weeks ago as the NBA defensive player of the year and and Drew Holiday showed him up last night so man credit to the Milwaukee Bucks who knows how this series ends um, 
you know, all week long with so many series tied at two up to four games. I feel like all week long we've been talking about reading about and listening to, to shows and experts saying, well, when a series is tied at two, the club that wins game five takes the series 82 or 83% of the time, which bodes very well for Milwaukee to say nothing of the fact that game six is in Milwaukee. We'll see if Boston can recover. Uh, it's going to be tough, though. Uh, to go on the road against the champs who do have that championship experience. And Matt, when they have to play lockdown defense, they're almost as good as the Celtics. And last night, they were better than the Celtics, simply put. The Grizzlies are able to capitalize off of those turnovers. Melton the bounce. Adams inside for the bucket of the foul. Moving over to the West, or slightly more West, Game 5 between the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies, a potential closeout game for the Warriors, who were up three games to one. Memphis, their second game in a row without John Morant, who was um, questionable for the rest of the playoffs, last I read, which you would think is not a good sign. He is, quite clearly, their indisputed star. That being said... You take a look at what the Grizzlies accomplished throughout the regular season during stretches when John Morant was absent due to injury. They had an amazing record. It's a different style. They maybe don't operate quite as quickly. And they're obviously less dependent on one guy. It's not like Desmond Bain or uh, Jackson Jr. Uh, Certainly not Stephen Adams. It's not like one guy takes over when when jaw isn't there it's a collective effort and i appreciate that i was really impressed with memphis last night i mean they blew the doors off of the warriors the warriors don't don't have any significant injuries clay is back steph is back wiggins is there draymond green is there jordan Poole is there although jordan Poole did get nicked i can't remember if it was in the first or the second half he did get a little bit nicked uh but even if Jordan Poole isn't playing 100%, you would think that with all that championship experience and all the talent that the Warriors have, which is a lot, I mean, we're talking about Curry, Thompson, Green, uh, they, they couldn't do it. And they were dog-walked, they were buzzsawed, they were boat-raced, call it however you will. But the Memphis Grizzlies gave us an emphatic reminder of what they are capable of when John Morant isn't there. You know, they didn't win Game 4 a few nights ago, but that was a barn burner. That went down to the wire. That was a grinded-out, tough, tough win at home for the Warriors, which is what put them in the 3-1 to series lead. So even Game 4, there were these little hints, these little suggestions that were reminders more 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 specifically that you cannot you should not and cannot afford to take these grizzlies lightly just because john morant isn't there and last night was an absolutely spectacular reminder can memphis go back to san francisco and pound the warriors by 40 to 50 points again on the road to force a game seven i have my doubts I think, as is often the case, home court advantage, playing at home in the NBA playoffs, 
is extremely important. That's not to say that in the NFL or NHL or MLB or in Champions League soccer, playing at home is not important. You know, playing in front of your fans and on the the court or the the pitch or the ice that you know best uh, lends an additional level of comfort and confidence. But I think home court advantage, being the home team in the NBA playoffs, probably has the best advantage. So I can still see the Warriors close this out in Game Six. But suffice to say, uh, this this this. Tete-a-tete got a heck of a lot more interesting almost without John Morant. Furthermore, it didn't take very long for the pundits to start comparing statistics, Memphis Grizzlies statistics, uh, points scored per game, uh, points, points conceded per game, so a little bit of offense, a little bit of defense between matches when Morant has played and, and, and matches where Morant has been absent, of which there have been many. I, I think it's between 25 and 35 games at this point, if we're including the playoffs. And it's true, the numbers do show that the Grizzlies statistically are, in fact, a slightly better team without Morant. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. This is a young kid. He's a young, young superstar, extraordinarily talented. His airtime is mind-boggling. It's it's Jordan-esque. The, the airtime. I'm just talking about the airtime. He's absolutely magnificent. But he's very, very young. With good coaching and more experience and a bit more guidance from his veteran colleagues, both current and surely future teammates, I, I think he can integrate himself probably a little bit better as a team player. Look, the Grizzlies were the number two seed in the West. And they're still alive. But it's true. Statistically, the team does seem to play a little bit better when Morant isn't there, both offensively and defensively. And having seen a number of Grizzlies games during the regular season and, and especially in the playoffs, yeah, they, when they have the ball, it, it more often than not, it does seem to look like, oh, let's just give Jaw the ball and see what happens. To their credit, it's worked a heck of a lot this year. But they are... As an overall package, they're not as exciting without Morant, but they're, they're, they're kind of more interesting. They're kind of more balanced without him. So I think there's a middle ground that they can find just because John Morant is so young. So yes, the statistics that everybody's uh, shouting about this morning are interesting. Uh, they sh- we should take note of them. I think the coaching staff in Memphis has to take note of them, and frankly, Morant himself needs to take note of them. But that's not conclusive, not with a player that young. So I, I think in the years to come, Morant can integrate himself as a more all-around better player for the team. So I, I'm not too worried about that. De Bruyne. He's kept going. Kevin De Bruyne! Oh, beauty! A hat-trick after 23 and a half minutes. That was a blistering means of completing it. Premier League action. There was a big game. I mean, really, we're talking about two teams at this point with only a handful of games left in the Premier League. We're talking about Liverpool and Manchester City, naturally. Extremely close race. Some midweek football. Tuesday night, Liverpool uh, were uh, away to Aston Villa. They took care of business to put pressure on Manchester City, who played last night on Wednesday. And, I mean, 
what a what a game against Wolves. Wolves, who themselves were coming off a very impressive weekend over at Stanford Bridge, uh, where they they came back and earned a draw two two against against Chelsea. You just look at how Manchester City plays when they are on their game. It almost looks as if like they don't have to play that much defense because they have the ball for so much. It's a lot of 60% plus ball possession when Manchester City plays. And they're not one of these teams that sort of sort of dilly-dallies around with cute little passes and waits for the perfect moment to strike the movement they have when 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 they have the ball and their offensive offensive midfielders they don't really have a pure striker obviously they put players ahead who 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 fulfill the role of strikers but they're sort of notorious for not having many pure strikers on their roster but look at their ball movement it's incredible the crisp passes the through balls uh, that they that Silva uh, put on a, a silver plate platter for Kevin De Bruyne. For, I believe it was his uh, first goal of the game. Was it was juicy. It was it was succulent. It was delicious. It was a beautiful, beautiful goal. And you look at these final scores. You know, four nothings, four ones. Last night was five one. Uh, it's fantastic. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is ostensibly like a striker. Uh, his I think it was his third goal, his hat-trick goal. By the way, the guy scored a hat-trick within 23 minutes of the game. That's, <laughs> it's absolutely extraordinary. I, both Liverpool and Manchester City are tremendously entertaining, joyous teams to watch. And it's very tempting to give the edge to Liverpool because they're, they're just as exciting. And they also have the manager that a lot of people love. So do I. Uh, Jurgen Klopp is is a wonderful personality, including being a brilliant coach. But you see Manchester City last night, and that's really impressive. You know, Liverpool has had to grind it out recently, even in the Premier League, uh, whereas Manchester City just looks like they're cruising. I was on tsn.ca yesterday uh, when a very alarming article came out about a former gymnast uh, filing a a class action lawsuit against Gymnastics Canada. 32-year-old Amelia Klein is uh, filing a class action lawsuit against Gymnastics Canada, as well as a number of provincial federations like uh, BC, Ontario, Quebec, Saskatchewan, lots of complaints uh, being aimed at coaches in Canada right now, pretty much all across the country, whether it's gymnastics, I'm reading a little bit about boxing as well, uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse, uh, nutritional regimes that aren't particularly healthy, uh, demanding that these athletes perform at levels that are a little bit ludicrous at times. Again, we'll see how far this class action lawsuit goes. Uh, obviously, a lot more reading and a lot more learning is required 
by myself and well as well as by the public to really fully understand what's going on here but this is a number of articles of this nature that have appeared over the past few months and certainly the past few weeks um, i just watch sports i read about sports i watch sports i listen to sports podcasts i watch uh, youtube sports analysis shows from former players and journalists what have you you know, I, I try to go down the professional route as much as possible. And certainly boxing and gymnastics, uh, be it at, at the Canadian level or international level, are not things I'm very privy to. I'm not particularly well educated on them. So I, I'm going to make this a very short segment. But, but the fact, the notion, the potential reality that the coaching staff in these domains uh, may be behaving in abusive manner I suppose it's about time that these things come to light. Uh, now it's in gymnastics. Now it's in boxing. But good Lord, we've known for years that there's been some funny business in hockey. Uh, there was the Chicago blackout, uh, not blackouts, but rather Chicago Blackhawks controversy uh, that erupted last year with uh, Quenville, former coach, during one of their Stanley Cup runs and one of their former players. Uh, there was a, another coach, I believe, out west who was having some issues uh, with one of his players. Uh, you know, this it's, it's, it's professional sports' dirty little secret, which, according to these headlines, like the one on, at TSN this week, well, it's not a dirty, dirty little secret anymore. It's, it's a dirty, massive secret. It's a stain on sports. And now it's crawled its way into boxing and gymnastics, to mention only those two sports. For all we know, there are a heck of a lot more. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, you know, mores change, philosophies change, societies evolve. We learn new ways to communicate. We, new, we learn of new ways to teach, whether it is in sports or in life, in academia, in the workforce, in companies between friends you know that's that's how we evolve we find new ways more i don't want to say appropriate but more fruitful ways and i guess in some respects respectful ways to do this hopefully this will change you know for a long time hockey there's some weird weird stories about how hockey coaches have handled their business over the the last few years so i'm really curious to see this is what i'm going to be following this lawsuit against Gymnastics Canada. It'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to see how this plays out and, and hopefully uh, significant changes will, will come of it. Well, I mean, there you have it. Another episode of a Win is a Win podcast in the books. Hope you enjoyed this. Um, I've been your host, Edgar Chapu. I can be found on Facebook. Just search for my name, Edgar Chapu. First name, E-D-G-A-R. Last name, C-H-A-P as in Paul, U-T as in Thomas. I'm on Twitter at double O pop. That's the word double underscore O H underscore P O P. And I'm on Instagram at edchap14. That's E D C H A P as in Paul. And the number's one four. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on Anchor, anchor.fm. I've already got the ball rolling for iTunes and Google Podcasts, but I think it's still a little bit too early for that. Uh, although uh, I am on Spotify, at least according to Anchor. So. Search for a win is a win podcast on Spotify. You should you should find me. 
Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you in the near future. Ciao.